Hello. Hey. This is Ergo. It is indeed. I think we need a new way to open the show. Ooh. I'm tired of going, hello. Okay. So we'll work on that. What's up? But for now, that's what you're stuck with. <laughs> you're listening to Ergo, where we showcase the folks reshaping the culture of our city for the more equitable and creative. I'm Kiss. I am Damon. And wow, do we have one for you today. Very special conversation. We have activist, organizer, Monica Cosby, who she shares has was incarcerated for over 20 years, uh, but came home uh, or came out <laughs> really hitting the ground running um, on doing some amazing work uh, and, and using her story and her experience, but also like her embedded analysis and views of the world uh, to really be a significant practitioner of, of movement and the work for justice. Mm. So we talk about her life as a kid in Uptown. We talk about her experiences making life and creating from inside a moment when she uh, got out that really shook Damon to his core. We have some tears that are <laughs> are poured, and we get to the some of the most important questions that have been on my mind. <laughs> so make sure you stick through and and listen to that because I think like truly that is at the core of this episode. In the middle, yeah, I would say the rest is a, kind of in. Put a little bell for folks to know that they're at the. Yeah, the, listen, listen for the tone. They're at the sweet spot. The tonal sound <laughs> like this. Quick reminder. Buy your t-shirt, book us, all the info is at ergoradio.com. And you can always donate through Ally Media Projects if you got a little extra coin that you want to throw away for facilitating these wonderful conversations that we bring to you every week. Without further ado, let's get to our conversation with the brilliant and wonderful Monica Cosby. I was reading in prep for this, a piece you wrote for Truth Out, mm-hmm. that I was like, wow, this is really magnificent writing. Not that I didn't expect that, but I just had never read something you've written before. And it was like, I loved the way you tied senses together. It was really beautiful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. I missed that. What was the like the, the topic or the, the focus of the piece? I mean, you could tell more than I, if you remember, but it was like a kind of memoir-based piece. But they did a series around incarceration and... On entering and exiting. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I was writing about um, being in prison and leaving Mm -hmm. um, and coming back. Coming back is, for some people, like, it goes really smooth and easy. But for a whole lot of folks, it does not. And it didn't for me. Mm -hmm. December will be four years that I've been out, and I'm still, in many ways, still coming back, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's a hard, messy thing. And I probably... Not probably. I would not have made it if I didn't have community and support. I would not have made it and lasted out here this long and have even been able to do, well, I would have got some stuff done because I'm a very stubborn and (laughs) I can be kind of focused when I need to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would have had a whole lot harder time and it's pretty safe to say I wouldn't have lasted this long out here if I didn't have that kind of support. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, because I have more support now than I did initially coming out, but the coming out was made even harder because I didn't know what I was coming back to. Yeah, I knew I was coming back to Chicago, but I didn't know anything beyond that. Mm. I knew I was coming back to do the kind of work that I do now, but I had no idea how I was going to do that. Yeah. I just knew from the whole time I was locked up that I was going to do this, right? I was coming to everything that I didn't know, and I was leaving everything that I did know for 20 years. Mm. Right, People who had been moms and sisters and friends and lovers and everything else to me, Mm -hmm. right? right? Some of them were women who would come and go 
you know, through the system and some were there with me for half the time I was locked up or the whole entire time. Right. And I was leaving all of them. Mm. And it seems weird to say, but I was like, I was, aside from being afraid of leaving them, I was also heartbroken and I felt guilty. As much or as little as you want to share, but what was the, what was the guilt, uh, the content of the guilt or the context of the guilt? That I would be leaving them there. Mm. Prison is fucked up. Yeah. Everything about it is fucked up. Before we started, you were talking about what Miriam said, that prisons are inherently sexually violent. Mm-hmm. They fucking are. So at any given time, a staff can come and just pat me down just because they can. Mm-hmm. They can take me in a corner or not even in a corner. I can just be literally stripped down in the middle of the day room and got to lift my breasts and spread my ass and cough and squat and all this dumb shit. They can make you do that anytime. As a matter of fact, uh, several months ago, the Seventh Circuit Court, they just ruled that strip searches of this kind are perfectly legal for wow. training exercises. So, yeah, you can look that up. It's a whole big stupid thing. Just knowing that even if it doesn't happen every day, but it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. It happens a lot. And the fact that it can happen every day, that's fucked up. It's the isolation that happens there where I can only use the phone if I can get to the phone, if the day room is open, if a CO decides to open the gate so that we can actually go to the day room to use the phone, mm-hmm. right? It is, I have a job assignment or I have a school assignment, but I might not be able to go because the CEO is just not going to let me off the unit or it's going to be on lockdown or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? It is the all the fucked upness of it every day. And I left my girls there, mm-hmm. right? My original outdate was a lot longer, right? Mm-hmm. So when depending on how you view this. Um, I got lucky in court. I got lucky on appeal. And so my outdate became 2015. And I didn't really think about it at the time that I got the new outdate. I was like, oh, going home one day. Yeah. You know, because it was still like, it was like down the street and around a few corners. And it's like abstract. And I knew it was there, all, yeah, right? Yeah. It was still, you know, a little ways off. So I really wasn't hitting me. When I got like five years short, I was like, shit, hmm. I'm about to get out. I call myself trying to get ready a little bit. That's fucking hard to do when you don't know, like, what you're coming back to. Yeah. Yeah, it's stepping into a big unknown. The first selfie that I ever took was the day I got out of prison, right? (laughs) Um, Alan came to get me. So I'd known Alan since I was, I don't know, like 13 or 14 or something. Um, It's growing up in Uptown, growing up in Chicago. Alan Mills is executive director of Uptown People's Law Center, whatever his title is. He works at the Law Center. So I've known him since I was like 13 or 14. He rearranged his whole schedule to come and pick me up. I panicked for a minute because when I got to, like, the the gatehouse thing where they mm-hmm. let you out from, I didn't see him right away. I was like, oh, shit, you know. And there was this split second where I was like, I'll just stay for another hour. And I was almost, like, relieved because, like, mm-hmm. I didn't want to stay, but I wasn't sure if I was, right. like, ready to go, mm-hmm. yeah. right? It's just, like, that feels fucked up just even admitting this. Right? I hear you. So when you say that it feels fucked up a minute, I mean, so what I'm hearing and tell me if this rings true is that there's this distance between like the actual complicated emotional reality of being in that position and then the expectations of what you're supposed to feel yeah. in that moment. Mm-hmm. Where do you think the expectations of what you're supposed to feel were coming from? I don't think anyone overtly told me, mm-hmm. right? Nobody just said it plain like that. Yeah. Um, but it was girl, you better fuck all this and just go home yeah. and just be happy and just be right. happy, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was, right? But I was also not. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, people hold multiple emotions yeah. at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know. And we do that out here. All the time, um, yeah. So during the time that I was locked up, so we all know it's a given. We know that healthcare and the prison system is fucked up. Mm-hmm. People die all the time because IDOC doesn't care, mm-hmm. right? A few months ago, a friend of mine who had, you know, I was locked up with her. We were in Dwight together. We were in Lincoln together. And we were in Logan together. Mm-hmm. Um, her name was Deb Jennings. And... She died a few months ago, so, you know, there's this little mini campaign to get her out. She had got di- gotten diagnosed with cancer. Mm. Um, she got out, and she died shortly after, and I was fucking pissed. And I was told by a couple of people, I should just be happy hmm. that she had that time with her family. Mm-hmm. I am. I was very happy, and you know, and I was grateful that she had that time with her family. But I was also still pissed, and I still got to be pissed <laughs> right. because she shouldn't have fucking died. Right. She shouldn't have been in prison. If she had to be in prison, then they should have taken care of her. Right. She, it shouldn't have got all the way to stage four, untreatable, whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. So why can't I be pissed about that, too? Mm-hmm. I am. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and can't nobody tell me that. And I'll shut you down in a second if you do. I um, And it wasn't just Deb. It was Maddie and oh, too many. Yeah. Just too many. So it's this expectation, again, of, like, what you're supposed to feel about it. And what we're supposed to be grateful for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? It's this whole notion of consent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that, especially, like, when we're talking about the criminal legal system, that you're not giving consent to anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? So I'm going to comply. It's not the same thing. Right. Compliance Mm -hmm. is really different. Mm -hmm. It's really not compliance. It's not fucking consent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if I got a CEO that comes, you know, Cosby, you got to strip you down, whatever. I'm going to do it because I don't want to go to SEG for a year for basically <laughs> resisting oppression. Um, <laughs> but so I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to comply with that direct order. I'm not consenting to this. Any consent you give under duress is not fucking real. Right. I love this. It, it, what it a fascinating distinction, like an important distinction there mm-hmm. between like we in so many other contexts. Yeah. If you if it's under duress, if it's forced, if you're forced to make that choice and that's not consenting to it in any way in terms of what happens to your body in so many different ways in the illinois supreme court rules there's um i can't think offhand which one it is um they have to ask you before you take a plea are you being pressured into this are you being intimidated were you offered anything by the state whatever woo, woo, woo. and you're and you're going to be like nope i'm taking this plea of my own free will mm-hmm. and really you're taking this plea because if you don't you're guaranteed to get as much time as they can give you mm-hmm. if they find you guilty and you probably will get found guilty, mm-hmm. right? You're taking this plea because you've been in the county for three months or six months or two years or whatever it is and just ready to go get it done mm-hmm. yeah. and try to get your life back, mm-hmm. right? That's You didn't consent. Right. That's not consent. Yeah. That's coercion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's deep. I want to— Let's pull back. <laughs> uh, and I want to, like, warm us up and also, like, like introduce you and check us in. But thank you so much for being here. I'm happy um, to and, be here. And I'm, I'm really grateful. Uh, I also, I just want to, like, take a deep breath in if we can. Can we just, like, breathe in? <sighs> breathe out. And yo— we we are here, y'all. Y'all have already been listening to some of the uh, you know the beautiful, it. profound deepness that we're about to get into. Uh, but we have an amazing spirit here, activist, organizer, and I, I think just like warrior of like truth and life. Uh, Monica Cosby is here with us. Oh, that got a smile. Yeah, bra bra bra. So we 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 are very happy to be here, and I'm already feeling like. 
I'm in kind of like step back mode and I just want to like let you flow, but I'm here with you as well. So I'm not, I'm not going to leave you out on any, any limbs, but I'm, I'm just, like I said, when we were outside, uh, I'm always deeply impacted and affected by your presence and by our interactions, like whether you're on stage or even, I know I'm doing too much, but even like when we just like are checking in with each other, you know, the, the, like the regular platitudes of, Hey, how you doing? Whenever we have a conversation, um, just what's been on your mind for like the last day or the last week, we always get to a deeper place. Um, and so I've always been really excited to, to have you up here. So make some noise, Daniel, for (laughs) we're clapping it up here in the studio. Um, and so as we get started, we have a tradition of a two part question that we like to ask to kind of ground us in this time how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world if the seat could have reclined you would have leaned back right then (laughs) i really would have um i'm trying very hard to be good to the world and all things in it um the world is kicking my ass Hmm. and lifting me up so much Mm. i'm always in this not always but i spend a lot of time in this space between exhausted and exhilarated Hmm. and trying to catch up to stuff has been frustrating for me, but some of it's like genuinely funny. Um, Mm. It's not like I'm standing on a line between this and that so much as like I'm here and I'm here because there isn't one. It's all part of the same thing, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. So the world is kicking my ass, but I'm also like, it's kind of awesome. <laughs> I love the kind idea of having an awesome ride. Yeah. Kicking your ass and lifting you up like it's such a hard kick that you go flying higher than you ever imagined. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, was, I was imagining like a sparring coach. That's like mm-hmm. giving you technique, but like giving it to you the hard way. But now, like, which metaphor know. do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> I like this one. Like it's it so hard that I'm just yeah. like flying. Because then I get yes. to go <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> you beat me. <laughs> I'm not just up in there. I'm flying and I'm like going places go. and seeing and doing and learning. There you go. Right. So, so, so before we... we continue flowing i also just want to place all the work that you do because i've seen you in different spaces in different organizational spaces so just like right now what are the the orgs or the bodies that you are connected to in the work and the activity that you got going on oh because i feel like it's a few i feel like it's, you wear a few yeah. hats <laughs> um i do i've got a whole bunch of different hats um i'm a community organizer at Westside justice right. center been there um mm-hmm. we're right on california and harrison um i'm an organizer with moms united against violence and incarceration mm-hmm. this is my heart mm-hmm. right um i'm lead organizer for women's justice institute I collaborate with uh, other organizations here and there and pnap i have a particular mm-hmm. affinity for pnap and Prison the work neighborhood that PNAP does. yeah mm-hmm. There's a few different organizations that go into the prisons, but there's a lot of churches that go into the prisons, Mm -hmm. which, like, that's awesome because we need stuff to do. But we also need spaces where we can ask questions and be curious and learn. And so at church services in the prison, a lot of times, like, we can be sitting next to each other, but you'll have literally COs walking around, like, make sure you don't talk to the person next to you. Hmm. It's ridiculous. There's no— There's no— Talk to your neighbor in, in church. <laughs> like, so we're always going to be us staple. wherever we are, right? <laughs> you take but away the talk to your neighbor. What am I here yeah, for? <laughs> right? That's the best part. Yeah. But we need other spaces that where we can talk with each other and mm. run ideas past each other, mm. right? Um, and be able to think critically and creatively. And I think there's something that happens in classrooms and other groups in the prisons, so this is part of why I love what PNAP does, yeah. right? Because they're there and they're small, but they do like all this incredible shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so. I've I'd, done some stuff with Love and Protect. I, I get around. Yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. You know, if it's some, if 
I know it's important. If it's not something that I have the capacity in any way to like help organize or whatever, I'm going to show up and be as supportive as, if, as I can. Yeah. There's just so much to do, but I try to do the stuff that I know how to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I yeah. try to learn other things, but I try to be like really engaged in the stuff that I know how to do. Hmm. What feel like the the tools that are most readily available in your toolbox? Like when you say I do the things I know how to do. Like for me, I feel like I know how to do on mic editing audio. Damon knows how to facilitate things in a different way. Like what what are what are the tools for you that feel most available? Um, I can facilitate teachings and workshops. Mm. I particularly like to facilitate circles, right? I like to Mm -hmm. keep circle. So I did this restorative justice circle training out here, but I became familiar with circle like from my youth. Mm. And during the time that I was locked up, we had found ways where we create circle. We don't really always call it that, Mm. right? But it's a way of ensuring that we have a space to get together, um, we're basically we're circling up, right? Yeah. And we're just like we're telling each other, this is what this is, and this is how we're feeling as a group, and this is the thing that needs to change, hmm. right? Um, so it's that it's facilitating that, and then I think when I got to Logan, they brought this woman in from um, one of the community colleges down there. Her name was Elena Winters, and we did this taco circle training, which was just really fantastic. So when I got hmm. out here. I did some stuff with Nehemiah Trinity Rising, mm-hmm. right? And I did the circle, tra- the restorative justice circle training with them, um, Olivia Chase and Michelle Day specifically. And you are a diligent shout outer. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's all these people that I met when I got out, and I was so surprised hmm. um, because I just was like absolutely convinced that my life was over in a way. Mm. Like it was just starting, but I was also convinced that it was over because I was, I left everything I knew, mm-hmm. right? Right, And I came out here to all this stuff that I didn't know. So Olivia and Michelle were some of the first people that I met when I first got out. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there were ever any women that I'd ever met out here that I would call mom or think of as motherly, aside from my own mom, mm-hmm. it's the two of them, mm-hmm. right? Mom, big sister, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. friend and colleague at the same time. Yeah. And the relationships I have with some people out here now, when it dawned on me that I actually had friends, mm-hmm. I was so surprised because I was not only did I felt like a traitor, I felt like if I were to move on with my life and have any new relationships, any kind of friendship, it was somehow a betrayal of everyone that I left behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of happened without me trying to make it happen or looking to make it happen or even realizing that it happened. Because when I did, I was like, shit. Turns out people you know? want to be your friend. Yeah. And I just, I, I feel incredibly I, lucky. Yeah, I want to stay in that in that time and that season because hearing it, I guess I knew it at the time. I met you, I think the first time was at a Breathing Room event series in North Lawndale. Mm-hmm. Um, it was around MLK Day, I believe. Uh, and that was January of 2016. 16. So so that had been I a had, few weeks. Yeah. And so, you know, you spoke and I, I remember how powerful you were and I remember the admiration I had because I believe anything we are organizing, fighting for, fighting against has to be rooted and deeply connected to experience. And I think so often folks who are talking about criminalization, incarceration, the carceral state are not the ones who are most directly impacted or experienced. So you come in directly home, but also having an energy, a fire, an analysis, um, but also like a power behind you. Uh, I was just honored to like be in your presence and to be able to to hear your story. Thank so you. I, I kind of want to place back at that time of like, I'm seeing like, oh, wow, she's 
this is a, a powerhouse. You're going to ask the yeah. question that you were too <laughs> not willing and yeah. ready to ask. No, me. but like where, where, you know, where were you in that time? Do you remember that season? I feel like you hit the ground running. You also hit the ground while there was like popular movement happening. And so, yeah, that, that late 2015, early 2016, first couple months in relationship to the work, how did it feel? Was it ex- ex- exhilarating as it looked? I should say it was exhilarating and exhausting and also surprising. Hmm. So for the bulk of the time that I was locked up, I didn't know that all of this stuff was happening out here. Mm -hmm. Like I wrote an angry letter to feminists everywhere talking about somewhere you bitches at. (laughs) Right. And then I was told you probably should never say that because you're going to get some blowback on that or pushback, (laughs) whatever we call it. And I was like, well, okay, I'll take it. (laughs) Right. And then, because where are you? And so when I got out Hmm. and there was love and protect, and I had read pieces by Miriam, and there was all this stuff happening, and I was like, "Well, shit, this is where everybody is," yeah. and yeah. I was happy and relieved, yeah. right? But I was also like, "But I didn't yeah. know," yeah, <laughs> you right. know what yeah. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So there are differences between that I can see now, almost four years later than mm-hmm. when I first got out, mm-hmm. right? Um, Such as. We keep up with people in prison better, Mm. right? Mm. Like there's all the letter writing events. And it seems to me like we make more effort now to be in relationship with people in prison, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like the letter writing things are great, but relationship is more like we have to be in community with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I need to go back to that day. Yeah, 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 yeah. So because I remember this day, I had just gotten out. I was still on parole, mm-hmm. MSR, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what is the, MSR, are those equivalent? Mandatory supervised release. Yeah. So technically in Illinois, we don't have a parole system. It's mandatory supervised release. Mm. We just say parole for, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was And on, they got rid of that like the last 10 or 15 years, right? That's yeah. kind of newish. I think it's a little bit longer ago than that. Okay. I think that happened in 95 or 98. Oh, okay. Something like that. Okay. Um so when I came to that thing, I was still mm. on MSR. Mm-hmm. So they drop you when you're on mm. parole or MSR, mm. right? So you do the drug drops all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And so when I got there, I was like, I had actually had said to Alex, I was like, I think I got to go. He was like, are you comfortable? I was like, this is fucking amazing. But I can smell weed. If I breathe that shit in, I could drop dirty. I was scared, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And he was like, you ain't got to go nowhere. And... He came and spoke with you and just, I'm not sure who said what, Mm -hmm. but there was just like this little mini mass exodus. Everybody went outside to go smoke a joint or do whatever Mm. and came back. So I didn't have to leave. Mm. Oh, wow. Right? (laughs) I was getting ready to be really embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, wow. And I fucking cried. Oh, wow. Because I felt for people I had just... None of y'all knew me, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I had just maybe met Alex like two weeks before or something. Mm-hmm. But you were in community with me, and I was in community with you from day one. Mm. And that's part of the difference, I think, between being in community and being an ally. Mm. Is because we really know when we're in community, we're not good unless we're not good. Right. Right? Yeah. Wow. It's that taking care of. We take care with and we take care of. Yeah. That just seems kind of different yeah. than, like, ally. Yeah, so it's fucking beautiful, man. <laughs> like, I, um, Is this a first of crying? Of tears in the Maybe, studio? maybe, yeah. Like, because to, to, to hear that story, like, you know, because we're also, we were younger. 
Uh, and then there's also like the like rebelling against the state and prohibition, you know, shit of it all. But also maybe being irresponsible and just hearing that story and something that would be something we take for granted or something that's so like a moment that's so minute. Uh, the fact that it resulted in you feeling held and seen in that type of way. Uh, yeah, it's just really deep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like what community means. And wow. Hmm. Go ahead. Tate. <laughs> uh, I want to follow up on what you just said about the, the allyship piece, because we... I think that word gets talked about in a lot of different contexts, specifically usually around uh, race, but in the context of people who've experienced incarceration, where, where do the limitations of the idea of being an ally show up? Maybe the most obvious is going to be in the prison. Mm-hmm. So you'll have a CO um, who's not necessarily an asshole, mm-hmm. right? So he's not the guy that's going to tear your room up or drag you around the corner somewhere and beat your ass. He might be the guy that's like, you know, the the tag team will be here about two o'clock, get your shit out, whatever. But he's not the guy, he's not the guy that's gonna do it. So he's an ally in that sense. He's gonna let you know, hey, be on the lookout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also might warn you they're coming, but he's not gonna stop it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where when we're a community, we make sure each other are good. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I just need a second. Yeah, yeah. I've oh, I've, I've impacted it. Um whew. So let's go back uh, before those 20 years to, to where you were in the city, what your life was, who you were in community with. You mentioned that you grew up in Uptown, um, and I think it's a neighborhood that has such a vibrant history that we've touched on on the show, but really there's a deep dive that needs to happen because I think it's one of the stories that really doesn't get told a lot when we talk about the city. Um, so for you, when you think of your neighborhood, like what are the sights and the sounds and the smells and the, the the voices that that you think of. It's Clarendon Park, and it's the lakefront, and it's Sunnyside and Magnolia, and it's Hazel and Agatite, and the voices are everybody's, mm. right? Um, Uptown was, like, super integrated, but also there were, like, little pockets where it was, like, segregated at the same time. It was <laughs> weird to be such, like, a, for all of that to exist in one space, yeah. right? I think at one time in Uptown, Uptown was probably home to, I don't know, maybe just 10 different branches of gang, um, which I always thought was, like, kind of cool. It just made (laughs) me think that, no, like, everybody was there because we were black American. We had people from different parts of Africa, Mm -hmm. right? Um, We had white Americans. We had white American from, like, West Virginia, Tennessee. A lot of people came up. Mm -hmm. We had people from everywhere. We had people from... Mexico and Guatemala and Puerto Rico. I mean, like, everyone was there. Mm-hmm. There was only once, I think, in my life where I ever lived in, like, an all-white area, hmm. right? And so for me growing up, because I grew up in Uptown, and if I was not in Uptown, I was on the South Side, right? Mm-hmm. My grandma house was on 76th and Union. Mm-hmm. So that's always been it for me, going back and forth between the two. Right. I was in the fifth grade, and we moved out of what I consider Uptown proper into a place on Clark and Argyle, and I graduated the eighth grade from Trumbull which was okay. on Foster and Ashland. Mm-hmm. At that time, I think Trumbull was, like, predominantly white and it's like, kind of not comfortable, mm-hmm. right? I think I got in trouble a couple of times, one of which was, like, absolutely my fault. I'm going to blame it on my mom and my dad, though. <laughs> that was, you're like, I take responsibility and I pass responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I wrote the paper on purpose, so I think I was in the seventh grade, and if I'm going to idealize myself, uh, right, uh-huh. um, I was always woke. <laughs> right? But make your, I make always your had, like, yeah. make your meanings myth. a certain way, right? But there's, like, I'm still learning shit now. Right? Yeah. But when I was, you know how when you're, like, 
in the fifth, sixth and seventh grade, you know everything about everything, right? Oh, so yeah. in the seventh grade, I knew everything about everything. <laughs> and they made us write this paper on terrorism. So this was during the time when um, hmm. the American embassy was uh, taken over in, I don't know if this was Iran or Iraq, right? In Iran. So was, yeah. Like I was in the seventh this grade, sixth, seventh grade, crisis. right? Yeah. So this is it was that. 79? That, that let's, let's, let's double check our facts here. Oh, I'm going to be 51. 81. 80, from 79 to 81. So 444 days. Yeah. Okay. I'm you were there. correct. I'm in there. Look at that. Even before your time, <laughs> you know your shit. Yeah. And so they made us write this paper on terrorism. And one of the examples of a terrorist organization that I used was the KKK. Mm-hmm. Right. And I got called to the principal's office. I first the teacher talked to me. She was like, Why would you use this? I was like, because that's what they do. <laughs> right. Got sent to the principal's office and they called my dad. And my dad, who's a whole six foot four black guy, comes waltzing in and so you're looking at me. And then he sees my dad, he's like, uh. and pretty much knew like it's gonna be a <laughs> lost gonna, argument. I'm not gonna win this fight. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, really funny. and so I, I felt a particular pride mm-hmm. in what, like when I when I was a little little girl, you can tell what's that song, the old country road song. Mm-hmm. You can tell me shit, yeah. right? You can tell me nothing about my dad. When I was a little girl, I was like. My dad could whoop Jim Brown, Jim Kelly, and Bruce Lee. Like, you couldn't tell me nothing about my dad. And Bernie Casey, too. Like, you couldn't tell me nothing. Right? So watching my dad come in, and he didn't really have to say anything other than came to get my daughter. Mm. Was it? Mm. I think one of the last times we talked, you also talked about, like, the way you've been racialized or or misracialized, if that's the right language. And, like, that moment is really interesting because something I do, and I might be sloppy for doing it, is... In comparing patriarchy and white supremacy, I think masculinity and whiteness work in parallel ways in a lot of a lot of ways. So something I see in masculinity is that we actually police and abuse ourselves first and and most prepare us to be what we then know to be man. Uh, and like in from doing some teaching artist work, I've also seen like white teachers, like once they see a white student acting outside of whiteness, there's a specific type of like policing or like oh y'all are causing rambunctiousness right like y'all are introducing huh. wild crazy things in a way that if i you know teach a, a, a you know a black kid to say yo or make a joke like hearing the white girl do it like spark something um and that's so that's so what i hear in that story is like hey that is outside of we do not critique white violence right like you need to go to the principal's office even though or a different school yeah even though it is yeah. ter- it is terrorism by like the the law of the land in every sense of the word but do you remember like what their justification for like correcting you was or was it them trying to make you be the white girl that they thought they were looking at that's a big question that's I, think a it was, I think it was both we're bringing the principal um, on the show <laughs> I, I i think it was both and i also think it was like they were like, why? Oh, like, can you explain this to us? <laughs> like, why did you? They literally just needed to read your yeah. paper. I, you know. That's really funny. And, talk with the author. Yeah, and I just was, and up. I remember, because I wasn't, so when I wrote it, I just was like writing what I knew. Right. right? What, writing what I knew and writing what I felt at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when I got that response, I was like kind of pissy because I was like, but it's true. Mm-hmm. You know, I hadn't actually really ever thought of it so much as I just remember, like, when my dad came in to get me, just, like, the pride that I felt, Uh, you know. And because I was always, I've always been conscious of racism and race, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? 
Like I've always known it was a thing. Mm-hmm. Was it part of your dad's like practice, or was he? It's part of activated? my dad's and my mom's. Okay. Um, so my mom is not, but my mom is white. Mm-hmm. So I was one of those curious kids. I'm still a curious person now. Mm-hmm. And if I had a question, if they couldn't answer it, or maybe they wouldn't. So I have hindsight now. Yeah. Because it was always like, here's a book. Right? Mm. Just always handing me a book. One of the first gifts that I can really remember clearly getting was a little small bookshelf with three shelves and three sets of encyclopedias, children's botanicas, the time uh, set of the time life oh, nature yeah. encyclopedias, mm-hmm. and another set of those time life science and mm. industry encyclopedias. It was like super duper Christmas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, wow. like, oh, like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I've, I've always had that. I think about some of the things that my dad used to say now as incredibly sexist, where when I was younger, it didn't quite make sense, but I didn't have, I couldn't put, quite put my finger on some things. Because mm-hmm. like, so, some of the stuff that my dad used to say was totally on point for me. But some of it, I was like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> you know I yeah. don't know. <laughs> My dad is super awesome, but he's mm-hmm. like everybody else is a complex person. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he died about two weeks before I got out. Oh. Right. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. Were you all in communication while you were inside? No, no, mm-hmm. not a lot. For the bulk of my time in prison, I was there by myself. Mm-hmm. Right. In 98, after I got convicted, my family moved out of state. And so from 1998 to 2015, I didn't see my family at all except for my oldest daughter. I saw her one time in August of 2013. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so learning from my dad, I always knew who I was and where I came from. And so I would also know my otherness hmm. when I was around white people. Mm-hmm. I love my grandma. You know, her name is Martha. I named my middle baby after her. Mm-hmm. Right? This is my mother's mom. But she used to like track because I had a fro when I was a little girl. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I had pictures to show you. I had a fro <laughs> when I was a little girl. And she was always like trying to hide my hair. Mm-hmm. Right? And she had literally told me like, you don't have to tell anybody about your dad. Mm. And when I would go out south and be with my dad's people, with my grandma Bernice and my aunt. So I have an aunt named Nisi. I'm going to try to make sure that she listens to this. Shout out to Aunt Nisi. Yes. So <laughs> everyone get your aunt to listen to the podcast. <laughs> fight, right? And I always thought that that was awesome. Like she would just, when, so one of my heroes growing up was Cleopatra Jones. Okay. I loved Cleopatra Jones and Wonder Woman, uh-huh. right? So those were my two. But Cleopatra Jones, like she was smart, she was tough, she was perfect. And I was like, I just wish she wasn't a cop. Cause like I always, I also always knew like the cops are not the good guys. And I recognized her as being some kind of cop. And when you, when you say always, like, like you mean like I grew up in uptown in Inglewood. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know, <laughs> I have always known that officer friendly is not a real mm-hmm, thing, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I have language now that I can rap, you know, mm-hmm. but at the time I just knew they ain't there to help, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's 13 of my dad and his siblings. So mm-hmm. I've got aunts and uncles that I grew up with, mm-hmm. and I got aunts and uncles that were grown ups when right, I was a kid, right. right? They were teenagers or grown ups. <laughs> and so my aunt Nisi is the oldest after my dad, mm-hmm. and she reminded me of Cleopatra Jones. <laughs> like if you look at her funny like a guy couldn't approach her crazy nothing she was just always ready to go and I was like when I grow up I'm gonna be like my aunt Nisi. I'm gonna be like Cleopatra Jones right are there people still pumping out 13 kids it seems like that is a generational thing that has faded because there were like lots I of will not <laughs> I'm not interested yeah. in that in particular yeah, yeah. Who else? I guess there's people out here still still doing it but my little cousin might be on his way. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say I don't know anybody, but if if I count up, we'll, we'll, we'll listen back. Uh, yeah, I'll ch- we'll check in on that. <laughs> I I will not. You think about that? Like that's so wild. Just yeah. the amount of who we're talking to. Someone 
Oh, I was talking to someone on my softball team who he is, he only has, I think, three siblings, but they were all born nine years apart. So his parents had someone under 18 in the house for 40 years. Mm. Can you, um, oh. <laughs> oh my God. I don't even want to. Yeah. I don't <laughs> yeah. even want to imagine. Yeah, no, that's absurd. That's absurd. So in, in, in getting in some of this childhood stuff, right, like one is just fascinating narrative, but I think something I also am hearing you say, uh, whether it's in seventh grade, whether it's before you can remember, uh, and I feel like I've heard you speak to it, that there was political nuggets that were coming your way, whether they were formal or informal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when did your like politicization or activation become explicit? Because my, my belief, it was you went inside with a certain like basis or a certain grounding. I did. I already had some going into the joint. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what I have now, I had going in and then... I gained like a whole lot more and I relearned a lot of things that I already knew Mm -hmm. as well as new things Mm -hmm. coming out. I've actually, I've learned a whole bunch more. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Those sounds like three cool. Can you like walk us through of like, you know, what kind of place, what you, what you knew going in, what you had to like learn and relearn inside and like this new set of knowledge. I feel like that's a good. A triptych. Yeah. (laughs) Um, going in, so again, this is mostly coming from growing up in Uptown. So I worked with Uptown People's Law Center mm-hmm. and Chicago Area Black Lung Association long before I ever got locked up. This mm-hmm. is where I got my early legal training from. Um, the last, you said Chicago Area Black Lung Association? Mm-hmm. Can you just tell folks like, what that co- is? Coal miners? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there were um, a lot of people that worked in the mines that moved up to Chicago mm-hmm. over a certain period of time. A whole lot of whom wound up in Uptown, right? And other, like on the northwest side and the southwest side of Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. But a whole lot in Uptown. And so what we did was basically try to help minors get their money, prove that they have black lung disease, which is pneumoconiosis. It's horrible, right? Mm-hmm. So I smoke, I chain smoke. That shit is worse than what can happen to you smoking cigarettes, mm-hmm. right? Um, it has the potential where, like, if a minor comes home, even if they change clothes, like, the dust has soaked into their lungs and their skin and you can actually get your wife pregnant and have like neurological uh like effects and uh, mm-hmm. of the baby mm-hmm. wow right so I, I can't even think of that word i mean but it, it's the things that happen are horrible yeah. and so i've always knew that shit was race and it was class mm-hmm. right so i've always been like just as environmentally conscious mm-hmm. yeah i guess i kind of thought that the language that i would have used then was the man is causing all of this, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's still predominant. It's still that same thing for me, yeah. right? But I just I understand it in a fuller way, mm-hmm. right? I have more specifics now than I did. You like know who the man is a little more, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, I have more awareness of that. I always knew we couldn't depend on or didn't need police to keep us safe. Mm. Like I've always known that. Mm-hmm. Just from growing up, I didn't need anybody to tell me that I saw it on a daily, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Then I got locked up saw all the same stuff and I started reading so because I didn't have um I didn't get a lot of visits and stuff like that while I was locked up but books galore right hmm. so there's the books to prison programs um Alan has always sent books and I would read just anything I would get my hands on I don't think I have the mandatory traditional right reading list checked mm-hmm. um I don't know if there is one I would like it <laughs> right <laughs> So I know that there's Shout a lot the that I missed. List. Yeah, check but, out the Ergo reading list at ergoradio.com. We make like a list of books that have been mentioned on the show. 
Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so, so that I'm going to give that a listen. Now, and any, anything you'd want to yeah, add to that list? Where, where, what were the texts that were impactful for you? Um, so I read this book called Dreaming the Dark by Starhawk. Okay. Right? Um, and I thought that was pretty cool, and it was in line with a whole bunch of stuff that I'd already read. I think some things were different because she was coming at it more from, like, just strictly a matter of the environment, mm-hmm. right? But it was the way that she talked about patriarchy. And mm. so I, I went on this whole tangent for a while while I was locked up of feminist theology. Mm. Right? I feel like, like you were good for a tangent. I, <laughs> I feel like people I, knew I, they could come to you for a tangent if they needed one. I, I, I went on Monica, this. She's got tangents. <laughs> yeah. She's got tangents available. Well, there, there's all this great writing that also it just added more to the things that I already went to the joint with. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I actually had started on this track before I got locked up. But then like life happens. Mm-hmm. Right? right. I can trace actually this back to a poem that I read by Audre Lorde mm-hmm. back when I was younger. Right, where she was talking about an African goddess. And I remembered thinking, so when I was a little girl, I thought both my grandmas, my black grandma and my white grandma, were like witches. I thought they had magic powers and stuff. And you just you couldn't tell me anything. Right. <laughs> did they did they encourage this? Uh yeah, when they this idea? my grandma Bernice did. Okay. Uh, <laughs> my grandma Martha would win like my mom or my dad would not around then she would right? <laughs> my grandma Bernice was like think anything you want you can do anything you want you can be anything you want right yeah. including um, a witch <laughs> yeah and so just a couple of months ago I was in Kenosha with a couple of my aunties remember I said I had aunts and uncles that like we grew up together yeah. right so I was with a couple of my aunties you know we had grown up together I was like remember when we was kids and we thought grandma Bernice was a witch they were like she was <laughs> right and it Thought. was just like yeah it was just this really cool thing and she confirmed that she was <laughs> yeah, but I had always kind of had been thinking about that. And mm. so while I was locked up, I read all this stuff. There's this book called The Great Cosmic Mother, Rebirth of the Ancient Religion. It's by Barbara S-J-O-O. I have no idea of how to pronounce that. S-J-O-O? Yeah. And Monica S-J-O-O and Barbara somebody or something okay. like that. And Barbara Moore. It'll be, all these will be on the Ergo reading list. Let's so. see. I'm about to, let's find out where this S-J-O-O it's Swedish. Swedish. It's Swedish. Uh, okay. Swedish last name. <laughs> so how do you pronounce it? Sju? That I do not know. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have to get. We we need like a call Sju. a Swede segment because I, I don't I got nothing on that. Sure. And <laughs> there's some pretty cool stuff in there, just like historical facts, right? Mm-hmm. Which I'd always known about. So we know like erasure happens, mm-hmm. right? But I was thinking it just so with that in conjunction with all the stuff that I had already gone in knowing, I was looking at the way that. How can I say this? White supremacist patriarchy has literally erased and exterminated people. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Whole peoples. Yeah. Right. This is a fact. Mm-hmm. It has also erased and exterminated languages and cultures mm-hmm. and religions and everything mm-hmm. else over not just 500 years of enslavement of people of African descent, but this goes back. 6,000 years yeah. of patriarchy yeah. in <laughs> places. And so looking at how erasure of women, and particular women's divinity, hmm. and how 
that line intersects with everything else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So before I had the language of abolition, when I got out, I feel like I'm going to get beat up for saying this, but I talk, I've I wish they would. I'm with before, you. I'm with you. We like, want all beef. I, I had a friend, a couple of us, we used to joke about abolition. We're like, we're abolitionists in prison, but we didn't know that there was like a whole movement out here. <laughs> and like, I'm, I'm just fucking witty. embarrassed about it. <laughs> no, I'm embarrassed about it because we didn't know. But the language that, so some of the language that we would use be like, fuck this patriarchal shit. Right. Why embarrassed? You should, I, that, that means you, you that sounds like pride. It, like you didn't have to read it. You figured it out. <laughs> in the same way you say like growing up, like you were basically an abolitionist in terms of your understanding of policing that like this emerged or from your experience, you were able to like, create that language for yourself and we do that in the well we do everywhere that mm -hmm. happens everywhere mm -hmm. right but but could you explain a little bit of why you say it's embarrassing because i don't know if i fully understand because i always feel like i'm behind ah, out mm -hmm. here mm -hmm. okay right and i'm like i'm trying so hard to catch up right, right, right. so i'm trying hard to keep up and to catch up on all the stuff that i missed mm -hmm. like people will talk about whatever movie that was like a big deal out here yeah. and I will have heard about the movie, but I will not have seen it, right. Yeah. right? Or it'll be, I'll hear a song that's probably like 12 years old, and I'll hear it, and it's like, you heard that new shit? For me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Like, a couple of times, people who actually know I was in prison were like, where were you? <laughs> well, you know where I was, right? Because it's stuff that we don't always think about. So, that's so funny. How can you ask, where were you? <laughs> people are unaware in the conversation. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> We don't think. Yeah. <laughs> so, and sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's legitimately funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, come on. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Like, I had one lady uh, try to tell me one day what people in prison need when they get out. And she's never been to prison. Does she know you? Does she know your story? Or is she. I think she should have prepared herself if she was going to sit in a meeting. <laughs> okay, so right. this was like a formal space. Yeah. Okay, right, right, right. You should know at least a little bit who you're in the room with. Mm -hmm. You ain't got to Google everybody, yeah. but you should like talk to other people. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. I just feel like it's kind of good for him. You don't get yeah. to make pronouncements about something that you don't have any kind of familiarity with mm -hmm. on any level. Mm -hmm. You're coming from a place of theory mm -hmm. where you're just kind of up here looking down, deciding on what people on the ground need and you can't do that yeah you don't get to do that so we have a lot of irons in the fire but i want to stay on that one what are the misconceptions the myths the things that people say that you hear over and over again that are offensive isn't the right word but like rooted in a deep misunderstanding yeah. of the experience of incarceration particularly for folks who are like well-intended and invested like people who are quote doing some sort of the work or will show up to the meeting Right, but but are still missing the ball. Yeah, what are what are we missing? Um, there's some spaces where I get you're so articulate. Um, Not to toot my own horn, but like I I do all right, right? <laughs> um, but a lot of times it's said in the manner of surprise, yeah. mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm rare for my species, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. because it's everything that underlies that. Right, you think because person of color prison, poor, that I cannot read or understand or use language, mm -hmm. that I can't put a thought together, that I can't come up with some type of analyses, um, all this other shit. Yeah. You're surprised because I'm articulate. It's mm -hmm. like a consistent underestimation of you. Yeah. And your ability to use language. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. An expectation of like, 
Oh, because it's not just on me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you'll say it to me, you'll that's what you think about all of us as a right. group, as mm-hmm. a class, as mm-hmm. a people, as yeah. a bunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That can be kind of irksome. Mm-hmm. Cause you can tell the difference between when somebody's like, Man, I love the way you put a sentence together mm-hmm. and because what you're really saying is I'm surprised you were able to come up with that. Right. I'm surprised yeah. by your humanity. And that's just grossly offensive. Yeah. yeah. And and I imagine there's that underestimation, but then on the other end, there might be some tokenization of like, hey, come do your thing. Come jazz us up. Come say your speech. You got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there's quite a bit of that. There's mm-hmm. quite a bit of that. And generally speaking, I, I can tell the difference, right? I can mm-hmm. tell the difference between when I'm being tokenized and when I'm really, truly welcome mm-hmm. and in community with. There are some people who act as allies who tokenize. I don't think they're necessarily always aware that that's what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? That's not their intent. Mm-hmm. I think their intent is to be inclusive, right? Their mm-hmm. intent is to be nine and to do good, mm-hmm. right? But then you got to be open, you know, to mm-hmm. hearing, hey, what you're doing, this is not so cool. <laughs> like, yeah. rethink these things, right? So let's say and that so those if you're people, really yeah. an ally, you're going to hear that. Yeah. yeah. So let's say that they're listening right now. <laughs> uh, what's the thing that you... If there is a thing, what's the thing that people are unintentionally yeah. doing? What are some common markers and what are some common corrections that you see, if that helps the question? If you are an organization that can afford to pay, mm-hmm. you should pay. Cut the check. <laughs> you should also have the money that day. Don't make somebody wait four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks uh, till it comes in the mail. Uh, right? That is a central campaign that we are running. Yeah, it's something with the nonprofit sector. Like the, the all that paperwork and all that 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 shit is a bane of my existence. It also like saves them hundreds of thousands, overall millions of dollars a year because people don't do it right and then people never get paid, yeah. right? So like it, it's a little bit like how like on taxes, like they make it intentionally complicated so that you'll mess it up so that then they can take more of your money. It's like whether it's intentional or not, like one of the effects or like gift cards are a good example. Right. Like the reason why they make gift cards for all these companies is because the like 15 cents that's left on it, they make millions of dollars a year overall on that. Because um, people don't spend that last dollar and then that money just gets kept by the company so they don't mm. ever have to exchange it. I think it's the same kind of thing of like whether it's intentional or not, the effect of making it complicated is that they end up having to pay out less <laughs> over time. Yeah. No, that's a good one. Pay up. Yeah. Pay up. <laughs> um, no, and don't ask what we think about this, that, or the other, and then do whatever shit you was intending to do anyway. Mm-hmm. So if you come and say, and you have whatever resources you have, which are probably more than I got, <laughs> right, then you just bring them. And so if, if you come and say, what do we need here, here, and here to do this, that, and the other? And because we know our lives, right? right. You're in allies. You're not like right here with us all the time, right? right? Separateness is inherent even in that word, right? Right. So you're coming from over there where you at, over here where I'm at, being a good ally. What do you need? Da, 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 da. I got you. We tell you. And then... You go and you do everything that you had already decided to do anyway, which is not the thing that we told you that was needed. Then I'm not sure really if you have my best interests at heart. Yeah. And if you don't, are you really my ally? Right. right. Are you just checking a box? Of like, like we did a listening session. Here's our due diligence now. Here we go. And then kind of evoking your name for their bullshit. Basically. I'm, I'm a listening session abolitionist <laughs> because that implies that you're not listening the rest yeah. of the time. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. here's the 90 minutes where here's we are listening. For. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the rest of the time, ears clogged. <laughs> so with the time we have left, let's uh, 
before I drive it, are there any particular things that you want to make sure we talk or anything for you that you want to make sure is included in this conversation? Um, I had one little point on, cause you keep like deconstructing ally and I heard Ruth Wilson Gilmore say something really good about that. I wanted to add, and then I wanted to get back to like that third branch of knowledge Oh yeah, of you saying like, you know, kind of being embarrassed of like coming up with abolition, but then learning and connecting to like, there's real movement happening around it. I, I, I would love to know your perspective and like, that experience uh, but one little thing about ally not only is it like passive and like super white sounding and like it doesn't have any teeth to it um and historically allegiances change right Ooh, right right that's leading become... right to the point it's also war-based right? right the idea of an ally is like we are going to do this violent campaign to each other with each other to have some mutual interest and then once that violence is successful we are now separate or not yeah. you know and so that's just some shit that, that I heard Ruthie Wilson Gilmore say, kind of cool. the leading abolitionist thinker in the world. For the, <laughs> for the it was a listening session. Yeah, no, you just, were listening. Just, yeah, just on YouTube. <laughs> for for those listening at home, this is. Also, oh my gosh, I love YouTube. Yeah, YouTube is the shit. <laughs> Shout out to YouTube. <laughs> and <laughs> what's a what's a YouTube rabbit hole you've gone down recently? Uh, no, I'm still on it. I watch funny cat videos. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's so, a good thing I'm, to get I'm caught up on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny yeah. cat videos yeah, yeah. and like occasionally other stuff. Man, you've got um, like 20 years of funny cat videos to catch up on. I don't know. Fucking everything's on YouTube. Yeah. Everything's on YouTube. That's a game changer. Um, third body of knowledge. Yeah. I arrived at it in the prison and coming out. Mm -hmm. So there were all these things in the prison that we used to do for each other. And it was us very clearly saying, fuck the police. Mm -hmm. Right. So a lot of what we used to do is make gifts for each other. Right. Mm -hmm. So we'll make T-shirts. Those of us that worked in the sewing room will sew up like panties or all kind of like we make everything Mm -hmm. in the prison. Mm -hmm. And so we make all this fantastic art and at some point, it gets popped off. It gets taken as contraband and dis- disposed of or what have you. And we do it again anyway. <laughs> we do this all the time. Mm-hmm. We actually commission pieces. Oh, like some of the dopest artists I know so are beautiful. in the prison right now. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'll commission a piece of T-shirt or something or a picture or a painting or whatever it is for like my daughter or my grandkid or something. We commission pieces. And oftentimes we're able to get it sent home mm-hmm. or we find a way to get it sent home or we get it to our wife or our best friend for her birthday in the prison or whatever it is. And if they take our stuff, we do it again. <laughs> right? right. It's the I act of like giving and the act of that thoughtfulness or is it just the, the process? It's the whole thing. It's yeah. the whole thing. It's the making of it mm. and it's the giving of it and it's the making it again when it gets taken. <laughs> this is us saying that. If I make something for my wife or whoever it is in the prison that I made it for and I give it to them, it's I see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love you. I know you there and I want you to know it. So here. Yeah. Right. I love you. <laughs> when we send it home, it's us saying the same thing. But it's also us saying, see me in here. Yeah. It's proof that that we exist. Yeah. Right. Especially in a place like that. It's a very intentional decision to be alive every day. Yeah. And then when they come and they when Orange Crush comes through and they tear our shit up and they take whatever, we make it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we're like, fuck the police. <laughs> I, that's abolition all day long. Yeah. 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 And it may not seem like this grand, grandiose, romantic, glamorous gesture, mm-hmm. but that's us being alive yeah. in a place that, what does the mayor call them? Death making institutions? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And so we choose to be alive to there life. anyway, yeah. Yeah. Mm. right? To continue, I, th- I think, is one of the things that I learned. Mm-hmm. I remember 
maybe this was about a year or something ago, I saw this tweet where somebody was actually quoting Miriam Hope as a discipline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I love that so much. So I went back looking for it. Like I'm trying to catch up on a lot of the stuff that I missed while I was gone. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm reading all this different stuff right now. But when I heard that thing, Hope is a discipline, I remember there were times in the prison when I had no hope. Mm-hmm. Right. I really didn't. My outdate was a gazillion years away. It was everything about the prison. But I always had this curiosity <laughs> of what was going to happen. You know, what was going to happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, would I get a picture from my daughter in the mail? Or I had this ridiculously clownish roommate one time. She was just, she was a character, <laughs> right? What was she going to do the next day, <laughs> right? What's she going to do when count clears? Was, there were just, I would find these little different things that I was curious about. And what I didn't know is that that curiosity that I had when I didn't have, it was at a time when I thought I had no hope. Mm-hmm. At that time, I did not think I had hope, but I had curiosity. And what that was, was that was my hope just kind of in disguise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that kept me moving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it was reading, um, oddly, some of those self-help books, which I think some of them are kind of cool, but yeah. I think they miss on a lot of the structural systemic stuff that we still don't like to admit to they're so individualist and a lot of it is like if you change yourself you change everything and it's like well there are other how did you get to be yourself right we live in the (laughs) what world did you live in how did you get to be yourself right (laughs) and i think they don't account for that Mm. right but that's where some of my stuff comes from in terms of personal stuff and choosing to move Mm. right so it was like all these things together all this different reading i did and living with the women that I lived with hmm. for all that time. It reinforced some things that I already knew and made me look at some things like really radically different. Yeah. So I, I want to say right there of like the radically different perspective because you had this innate or embodied or lived expression of abolition. Uh, but then pretty soon you learn who a Miriam Kappa is or you get connected to a greater movement that is you know, going downtown, Chan, fuck the police. And, you know, now there are articles being written and different organizations and everybody is kind of uniting either from a, a anti-carceral or anti-police or going all the way to like, we need to abolish and create a new. Um, and so I'm finding these days, it feels very tangible to me. And like, I feel like in an hour long conversation, I can explain it to somebody. Uh, but people are pushing more for like a more tangible like concrete understanding of what we mean when we say abolition. So I'm just curious what your perspective was of all these folks who 99% of them were not locked up and many Hmm. of us or many of them or many of we uh, have not had like a lot of experience with the police in the same way. Um, What was your perspective of that messaging, that consciousness? Um, How did it fit for you? What parts of it were limited and like, where are you with it now? There's a whole lot of folks that I know who've never been locked up that are just as likely as me to be like, fuck the police. Right. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that. I think some things become a problem if you have expectations on how I react or feel mm. if I see a cop coming. Mm. Right. Or you must have hated everything about the prison. I did, but I also didn't. Right. Right. Shit happens in prison, right? All kind of ugly shit, but all kind of beautiful shit, too. It's the art we make and it's the way we love each other and stupid conversations that we have, right? Meals that we make. I was talking to um, 
my girls at the Westside Justice Center yesterday, mm-hmm. right? And I was talking about this. Uh, if anybody's been locked up, you know, we used to make these potatoes. We used to call them baked potatoes. We used to make potatoes. <laughs> so you take potato chips of either plain or like whatever flavor, sour cream and onion or whatever it is, and you smash them up with a little water. You add a couple of things and like you stick it in a hot pot and you're making a potato. Mm-hmm. And so, and we cook for each other a lot, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Talking about this one day, um, one of the women in my dorm made a potato out of corn chips. And everybody in the dorm was like, but you can't do that. <laughs> now you're making corn. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And it was like this whole 30-minute big thing in our Debate. dorm, in a 20-man dorm, about why it's not a potato if you don't use potato chips. And it's like, like a we Seinfeld episode. It's so thing, funny. Right? It's, but these kinds of mundane things, that same shit that happens yeah. out here uh-huh. happens inside. Uh-huh. We're alive in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? We're not just in there twiddling our thumbs and waiting right we're trying to do stuff even if you're in a lockdown prison you're trying to make a way to live Mm. you make some kind of little routine for yourself right you try to bring some kind of normalcy and community there and we do build community and it's around meals like potatoes versus Corn potatoes. Yeah, it's not a potato. No. If there's one thing that I hope you take from this episode, it's that you can't make a potato out of corn. You cannot. You cannot. But is there pushback though? What did the other What did the other side of the debate stand on? They were like gave up. Okay. Okay. So we can be they, convinced. They, so this is now times. consensus. This is accepted. Yeah. It's not a potato if you use corn chips. Which leads right. me to another important question that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but has to do with this. I'm just, I'm curious on your perspective on this. So I've recently been engaged in several debates around uh, the idea of a dumpling. Okay. And my thesis that I brought to this conversation was that cuisines around the world have some equivalent of a dumpling. Now, the pushback that I received from that is that the term dumpling is a Eurocentric term. It's a British word for that. So so here's Mm. what I've extended it to. Cuisines around the world have a filling based dough encapsulated item to so eat. we're saying like from an empanada to a to a banh mi to a oh not a banh mi to a uh, like a like, like a, an apple turnover like a bow an apple anything. turnover would be an example um but that everywhere around the world they like took some stuff put it inside of another thing wrapped it up and ate it so here's my question what is the uniquely american and i have an answer but i don't know if what it's is the, the right. american dumpling? what is the american dumpling the fuck if I know. Let, let's 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 think about it. Is it in one of those hot pocket? A hot pocket is an interesting theory. <laughs> that could be. That's a solid answer. Or what about one of those? I don't know donuts with the jelly in it. Oh, uh, a jelly donut. Does that count? Absolutely, yeah. I think that counts. And then that, that <laughs> really flips it on its head. It's got something in it because yeah, you yeah. went sweet, non savory. I like that. The other answer <laughs> that has been posited, which I think is a fascinating one, the corn dog. Is a corn dog a dumpling? It it meets all requirements. I, the stick feels mm. like it makes it something new. Mm-hmm. The fact that there is a stick that and it is not a corn dog without a stick. If I could see a corn dog live on its own, <laughs> I, 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 I'll let it ride. <laughs> what do you call a corn dog without a stick? <laughs> okay, so like a <laughs> but, but do they still refer to it as a corn dog at that? Point? Okay, so let's rephrase. Like a pig in a blanket. Okay. All right. I just wanted is to there put this back. I, I feel all, like that's cool. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Which I, leads I to our next cool. question. Is a uh, taco a sandwich? He's been asking this. <laughs> I think so. Okay. It's a closed face sandwich, isn't it? 
Mm-hmm. I vote no. You vote no. I vote no. What's your theory? Sandwiches have two separate pieces. So does that mean an Italian it. beef is not a sandwich? Because that's a hero a pizza is an open-faced sandwich. Or is a pizza a cake? A savory cake? I love where this is going. Because a pizza meets all the requirements of a cake. It's like a... Like a Damn, it's like, like guy, a, I feel like pizza is one of the perfect foods. and steak sandwiches. If you have all the foods right there together, be it a taco, pizza, whatever, it's, it's all right there, and you don't have to do extra stuff. You don't have to fix the plate. You just have the whole thing right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything that you're going to eat right there, mm. it's perfect. Mm, so it's like a tortilla is bread. Like a self-contained, but is it? I. That's what I would have to accept for it to be a sandwich. That is the logical leap we have to make? Yeah, that's what I would need to be. It's made out of flour. Listeners... Tell us your yeah, theory. Yeah. Tell us your answers. We'll do a poll on Twitter and yeah. Instagram. Is a taco a sandwich? And then also, what is the American version of a dumpling? That, <laughs> yes, that's what we're leaving. I'm going with. with jelly donut, but I don't know. Jelly donut don't is answer. an answer I have not heard, and Love an it. excellent answer. So uh, you, you, I got something. go for it. All right, one thank you. Uh, I'm going to put in the air that I would like to talk to you again and get a part two at some point to this because I, I feel so like much. there's there's so much story. That we've grazed by, and there's so much like brilliance or profound. Sandwiches and <laughs> but that is also part of the moment, right? Like yep. that's what makes us unique. Because everybody's gonna ask you about what's wrong with the prison, but like who's gonna really get to the deep dive of the tortilla versus the bread? Um, <laughs> that's that's what Ergo brings to you. But I, I want to talk about the notion of home and just how like expansive and powerful that language is. So just like a little subtext context. Basically, in these five years I've been with the Let Us Breathe Collective, we have this strive of like closing some of the distance between communities most directly impacted and communities most actively in resistance to the carceral state. There definitely is overlap, but there also is some distance. Um, and in doing that, what seems to come up every time is housing insecurity, shelter access, homelessness. Oh, um, man. And so from that, we str- we're trying to figure out how to politicize that, have like an abolitionist approach to land relationships and housing and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but we were using this language of homelessness. And then we were challenged or challenged ourselves of home is not just walls and brick and mortar, right? Like houselessness is maybe a more effective or more politically accurate word. You can make home anywhere. Um, and so I then think of the language of coming home, right? Like, it's not I came back to my childhood house, right? It's (laughs) not that I'm in my same neighborhood, but I'm coming home. And so, you know, we were working on this program, Make It Home. So I'm curious for you, what does the language of home evoke? And what has been your process of making home, whether inside or out, that you still carry or that shapes how you move in the world? A lot of times I feel home when I'm doing something that's deeply meaningful for me. Um, for a long time when I first got out, I never said I came home. Mm. It would be like I got out, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been saying home like more, right, mm. in the last year or two. Mm. So it's the shift right? from where you left to where you came to. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, because to say that I came home like to a house, is that's false. Right. I didn't. Right. I mean, I came to a halfway house and then mm. I got kicked out and I went to another halfway house. Mm. Um but none of the places that I grew up in in uptown, like I can't afford to live there. This is not I didn't come home to that. Right. But I came home to Chicago mm-hmm. in terms of housing. Housing is a fucking human right. Like 
I, I get pissed off sometimes having some of these conversations because I feel like we're not even supposed to be having them. Yeah, it's absurd. Right? People are supposed to have a fucking place to live and enough to eat and fucking access. Furthermore, I don't even like to say access to housing or healthcare or education because when we say access, I always hear a gazillion extra hoops and hurdles and then yeah. after you jump through them, mm-hmm. there's a couple of more than ultimately you probably don't qualify anyway because this, that, or the other. Mm-hmm. So And empower yeah, somebody that. to provide or deny. Mm. <laughs> it's that. Yeah. I love that, a that's the of agreement. <laughs> yeah, well, because we do this thing where the scarcity that we're all living with right now, it's not real. It's artificial. Right? Engineer. It's totally manufactured. It's mm-hmm. completely artificial. It allows these people to have this kind of power to say, yes, you can live here if, or you can be here if. Or you can stay alive. Or if. you can stay alive if, right? And that if is a motherfucker. So you're mm-hmm. you're never giving any kind of real consent. Mm-hmm. When I was in the halfway house, none of the programming there was really for me, mm-hmm. right? So it was mostly theistic and centered around substance abuse. Mm-hmm. It's not my issue. Mm-hmm. So I will say I've tried everything at least once almost, right? Shout out. Um <laughs> <laughs> but my issue was <laughs> Damon. Shout out to a good try. You know, I'm off. <laughs> I was one of those curious folks. Like, yeah, I was always you know? like, we're just going to try this to see how it works. Life's I literally, experience. so I'm, I'm so embarrassed by this, but I'm not actually, I'm not right. ashamed of it either. I jumped out of a moving car once. So you, you know how you see those action movies where like mm-hmm. people tuck, jump out of a car, they tuck and roll and they come yeah. up shooting and running and whatever. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I jumped out of a moving car once. Um, coming around Lakeshore Drive, this was, I was like 16, mm. just to see if I could do it and I broke my ankle. Mm. Did you tuck? Oh, so you, this was I not. Out of this car. was not like forest. This was a. a, a I, no, I did it just no, to see but if I could do. But this. when you jumped, did you tuck and did you roll? I tried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really did. An attempted tuck. <laughs> yeah, and a I shot at a roll. And roll. Yeah, and I just kind of sort of tumbled down this little hill, <laughs> broke my ankle. I, I love. <laughs> and the last look I saw on everybody's face was like. <gasps> <laughs> I love embarrassing like self-caused injury or injury that was avoidable. D- did you tell people that's what happened, or did you make up another story of why your ankle was broken? Well, no, they were in the car with me. Oh, I jumped out of the car. <laughs> there was word, like, word got out. Yeah. There was like no way for me to like, say yo. that that's not what happened. <laughs> but no, I just, I did. Because I, I, I saw that shit in a movie. I was like, I want to see if I can do that. I want to try that. And, Curiosity yeah. is the title of, of this yeah. episode. It might not kill you, but like you might break an ankle. You be a little careful, right? Have a little Curiosity caution. broke the cat's ankle. <laughs> it broke this cat's ankle. Yeah. <laughs> It was one of my more embarrassing moments. <laughs> so, so the, but the programs in the halfway house they were not grounding for you. They were not serving your needs. They were not serving my needs at all. Um, there are other abusive policies and practices, right, um, many of which I called out. By, I had met a few people already by then, um, and I was like, so this is the thing that's happening here. It's this abusive policy, this abusive practice, this, 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 and this. And they were like, well, the response was overwhelmingly, you were locked up for 20 years. You survived 20 years. You can mm. handle this too. Mm. Just play the game. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all you got right now. I knew that that was all I had, right? But it's this expectation that this is enough. Like, mm-hmm. you're like, but why do we always have to be grateful for crumbs, right? It's mm-hmm. that it is this, I didn't consent to anything there mm-hmm. so much as I complied, mm-hmm. right? Right. It's like a little extension of the prison. And that's a lot of the problem with halfway houses and shelters is that dynamic that exists is very much like either the prison dynamic or very much like 
the violent relationship dynamic. We ask why people leave shelters. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is that. Mm -hmm. um, so people go to different groups or whatever because they're being in compliance with the rules, not because they're giving a consent, mm -hmm. right? Nobody wants to go sit up in a group and be told what awful people they are and what awful decisions they make mm -hmm. and totally ignore the context in which you were making that decision, right. that choice that you didn't have where your choices were all fucked up anyway. Right. I think when we talk about housing, like, we can certainly do a whole lot more than we're doing. Um, and I don't mean like we. I mean, the people who own land and have all this money and resources, um, whatever politicians and what have you, right? They can do a whole lot more than they're doing. Mm -hmm. And they can do it right now. Mm -hmm. They can do it right now. Any one of them at any given time could be like, here's these 50 empty buildings and the keys and the deeds. Go get them. Yeah. yeah. And they won't. Yeah. Because that's ultimately that that would be an incredibly liberating thing. Mm -hmm. And unprofitable thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So for, for you... is not profitable. Not Ooh. in the... Cool. Yeah. Well, I have a vision to <laughs> create housing. What's that look like? So I'm working on it. Um, it looks different in different, in different spaces. I would love to have like a couple of different places, one of which would be a farm. Mm. I don't want to actually farm the land, but I wouldn't mind like having a small garden and stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. But just make it like... Because you know how farms have all the other out structures to mm -hmm. all the other outbuildings and mm -hmm. stuff? Barns and So and all, yeah, all of that shit can be converted to housing. Mm. And you chop down the corn <laughs> or whatever. And like you make a playground for kids and that's just housing for families mm -hmm. and space and recovery, right? Hmm. So there's like no mandatory groups or whatever so much as there's just oh, a couple of things happening a couple of days a week. And if you want to come through, come through, mm -hmm. Yeah, right? There's always food. There's no... Like, we make sure that there's transportation, but you got a car, go get them. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Because it's your home. It's your place. Right. Hmm. You're not here under somebody else's supervision mm -hmm. where if you don't behave according to this, that, or the other, we're going to stick DCFS on you mm -hmm. or the police or parole or whatever it is. Like, completely non-coercive in any kind of way, mm -hmm. supportive, just... Irrevocable. We need that. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. What a beautiful vision. That's it. We could use one less corn farm. That seems like a fair trade. <laughs> That's a fair trade. Yeah. That's a fair trade. Yeah, plant some. <laughs> you know, there it is. <laughs> All right, what a perfect, what a perfect place to end. Let's yeah. uh, check out the game. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So just to check out, we do. We just go around share something that uh, has stuck with us from the conversation, or just how we're feeling right now. You got one you want to start with? Uh, got a few. Um, the humanizing power of curiosity is something that you know. I heard you keep coming back to uh, that consent versus compliance divide is really useful. I'll probably talk about that. Some I'm facilitating later today, to be honest. I'm throwing that right with in the credit. Bag. Absolutely. Throwing that right in the bag. Um, and then just that last thing that I kind of was saying kind of in jest, but super mean it uh, is that liberation is not profitable and it's likely not going to be legal. Uh, and that's some Frank Chapman just said like last week. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, like preparing ourselves for that and with the reality of if we claim to be for that, what that means in terms of our notions of legality and profit hmm. and norm and business. So yeah, those are, those are, those are my checkouts Whew. and honor. Uh, I am very, I honor you and I'm grateful to be here with you. Uh, mine is, I'm thinking about the way you talked about making gifts for, for people inside and outside and that as this affirming and reaffirming an act of life making and giving, 
and that it's not about what the gift was, though that is part of it, but it's about the act of making and remaking over and over and over again and knowing that that's part of the process. I just thought that was so beautiful. And it's a good reminder of like the act of asserting life wasn't about the direct challenge to power, though that is part of it. It was about the insistence that your personal, individual communal power couldn't be taken away. What about you? What's sticking with you or how are you feeling right now? I can't wait to come back. (laughs) I'm very honored to be in conversation and community. And I think that's what it is for me, community. When I talked about that first day that I came to Let Us Breathe, Mm -hmm. because I was so incredibly moved, right? I thought it was just a small feeling that I I had, Mm. you know? I'm seeing the import of that now. Mm-hmm. And I thank you for sharing your feelings about that. Mm. It was such a beautiful day for me. Mm. And I will have that day for the rest of my life. Mm. Wow. Wow. You're making me cry twice. You got to be twice in one. Oh, so good. said it. Woo. Oh, all right. I got to shake it off because it's here's game time. Here's how we shake <laughs> So the most. Uh, <laughs> yeah, warm me up. So the best place, I think, for us to leave this on. We have a very important game that we would like to ask you to participate in. Um, And I think you're actually a very good candidate for this game. So we start Beef as an accountability tool here on the show. When we thought about who has run amok, what has run amok, we had to get a little more expansive. And we decided that the best entree point was looking at the 20th century. The 20th century ran amok. Things were wild in the 20th century, and there was no accountability. So what we are asking of you today is to start beef with the 20th century. The 94 crime bill. Yeah. Got a big beef with that. Um, The PLRA, the Prison Litigation Reform Act, that shit's got to go. What year was that? Um, 95. 95, right after, right a lot of the things just kind of run in a line to mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. There's this thing that happened at this thing that, and this thing mm-hmm. that happened at this time, but, but they're like, all part of a phenomenon? chain yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. for me. I'm going with the 94 crime bill. Perfect. Okay. That's a, that's okay. a great, that's, under that or above that you could put so incarceration. It's all of that, that led up to it. The and state, the shit sense. Neoliberalism. Right. right? Yeah. All yeah. of those, those, but the pivot things. point being the 94 crime bill. 94 crime bill. Excellent 20th yeah. century beef. Yeah. I think, I think Bill Clinton just caught that smoke two weeks in a row. Oh yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah, fuck them. Smoke is deserved. <laughs> Monica, thank you so much for coming and chopping up with us. How can uh, folks find you and your work in the ways you want to be found? Should I say my Facebook? If or you would like. Do? If you, do you want people um, to look at your Facebook? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, because I'm not hardly ever on my Facebook. Okay. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter. My email is floating in the ether somewhere. It's, what is my email? Um, Monica at Westside Justice Center. Am I .org or .com? I think I'm... They're probably .org. .org. I'm pretty sure it's .org. Cool. I'm at uh, Ergo Kiss. I'm at Damon underscore AF. We're at Ergo Radio. And we'll be back next week with another person reshaping the culture of our city for the more equitable and creative. Much love to the people. Peace. Bye. Hey, Dame. What's up, Kiss? I want you to meet my friend Miriam here. Hey, Miriam. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Miriam is my oldest friend in the world. The whole world. And she is a devoted podcast listener. Are you? I am. Oh, well, that's love. I don't even just, I don't mean our podcast. I just mean podcasts in general. Okay. I love podcasts. How, how do you usually find your podcasts? What do you listen to them on? <sighs> the iTunes mm. app. Yeah, I know. Very basic. You're not thrilled with it? It isn't the best. Well, the good news is we actually have a recommendation for you. Oh, yeah? Well, Ergo is sponsored by Overcast. 
It's an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. Man, it's for the people. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it free in the App Store where you get all the other things. That yeah. You, you going to check it out? Sounds amazing. Cool. We won you over. Look how effective this ad is. <sighs> yeah. Pay, pay us more money, folks. <laughs> that's that's advertising in action. You see? Works. <laughs> see, that's how good we are at selling things. We're doing this. Hey, yo, Harold, hit me up, man. I am an advocate and I can market your stuff because look how great we just marketed Overcast. We just gave an ad for them and an ad for us. I think it's time to get the fuck out of here. Let's do it.